goes on and he says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede them, prevent them as kind of a funky way. That's what it's talking about. means that the dead in Christ go before the ones that are alive, okay, which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which were alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, notice this, comfort one another with these words. Now we're going to spend a little time tonight talking about several things and as you look at your notes, uh, I think the first point that you have on your, on your outline tonight is extremes we ought to guard against. Do you see that? And when we talk about prophecy, uh, I'll be really honest with you. There are some people who turn themselves into prophecy freaks. I'm just being really honest with you. It seems like if it wasn't for prophecy, they wouldn't have nothing to say. And there are certain preachers on television that seems like all they ever preach on is prophecy. You know, prophecy is great and it's fantastic, but prophecy is a small part of God's word. I could take you to the book of Hebrews, and the book of Hebrews says in chapter 1 that prophecy is the elemental things of God's word. We make it paramount and make it like it's a big deal, and God says, hey, that's ABCs, be quite honest with you. And as you grow, you're going to, get a little deeper in the word, and deeper in the word isn't prophecy according to God, okay? Now, there are some people that just go nuts. We, when I first came here, we had a gentleman in this church, a wonderful Christian, and a very good golfer. He, uh, he loved prophecy, and to him, he had the whole thing figured out. He could tell you everything that happened in Revelation, who it was and how they did it and who the Antichrist was going to be and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And that's great. I don't have a problem with that. I personally struggle with that because I don't think anybody knows. There's an element of prophecy that's mysterious. Would you agree with that? I don't think God gives you the answers to everything because God wants you to be ready. If you get it all figured out, the Bible says, in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. God doesn't want you to have it all figured out because he wants you to live your life in such a way that, you know, it could come at any moment and you don't really know when he's coming. Some people got it all figured out after this blood moon and that particular kind of moon, all that stuff, and they're, you know, they got it all worked out. Um, I think you can get a little freaky, to be quite honest with you. I think you can have a fanatical intensity you can somewhat overreact. There are people that set dates. There are people that do all kinds of things. There's also a theological ignorance. Notice what Paul says. I wouldn't have you to be ignorant. Your newer translations say it something like this. I, won't, I don't want you to be unaware. I love the way that writes because when I was in Bible college, they told the story of a gal who had somebody that came to him and, and was wanting a date. And so she put him off and put him off and put him off. And the college had its own little mail system. And so this guy writes her an invitation to go out on a date. And 
puts it in her box, and so she returns it, and she writes on there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, I would not have you ignorant brethren. <laughs> you catch that? <laughs> now, um, I don't think God wants us to be unaware. Prophecy ought to be something you know something about. It ought to be something that you do. And, you know, when you read this this passage, and when you really look at it, uh, the, the Christians in, in uh, Thessalonica were struggling because Paul goes in there in three weeks, starts this church, and then he moves on. And Paul talked to them some about uh, prophecy. Now, Paul leaves. They're under great persecution. They're suffering. And some of those Christians in the church die and then they're, they're wondering, okay, what happened to those people? What happens when you die? I thought Jesus was coming back. What if you die before he comes back? By the way, that'd be a pretty good question, wouldn't you agree? Now, if you want to look with me just for a few moments, go back in the passage. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 3, okay? Let me show you how, this, how Paul kind of talks about it. It says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, the patience of hope. Catch that out? That the patience of hope, that endurance of hope. Remember that? Now, when you talk about hope, one of the designations for the rapture or Christ coming back, it's called the blessed hope. You ever heard that? Look over to chapter 1, look down to about verse number 10, it says, or verse 9, it says, For they themselves show of us the manner of entering in we had unto you, how we turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to notice, verse 10, wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivered them from the wrath to come. So Paul talks to them about the coming of Christ. He mentioned that when he was there the first time, and he's talking about that endurance to live the Christian life because they have a hope. What's their hope? Jesus is coming. Somewhere down the road, Jesus Christ is coming again. Now look at chapter 2, verse 19. He has kind of a repeated theme here. He says in 19, he says, for what is our hope? What is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are not ye in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ when? At his coming. Now they knew something about that Christ was coming again. They had the hope that Jesus was going to come back. Look at chapter 3. Look at chapter 3 and verse number 3. He says, for verily when we were with you, we told you before that we would suffer tribulation, and even as it has come to pass, and you know, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter would tempt you, and our labor would be in vain. So he's talking about you're going through tribulation, you're going through problems, suffering has hit the church, people are dying. And then you got some bird head that kind of comes through and starts teaching them that, you know, maybe Paul didn't know what he was talking about. Maybe that second coming is wishful thinking on his part. And so they start to get some question marks in their mind. Somebody was spreading the word either by a supposed 
angelic visitor, a spirit, some fabricated letter from Paul that somehow, someway, maybe, maybe it's possible that Jesus has already come and you missed it. So we're going to be in a pickle. What if we miss the gathering? What if we miss the fact that Jesus is going to come again? So Paul writes to him and he says, all right, guys, I don't want you to be ignorant. Now, I love the way he says that because there's several ways that Paul introduces new material. He's been talking about several other things and now he comes back. Last week you saw basically how you're to live your life and treat those that are on the outside and how you're supposed to live as a Christian. Now Paul comes along and he says, all right, now let me change directions here. Let me talk about the second coming. There's some things I don't want you to be unaware of. There's some things that you don't want to be spiritually ignorant of. And so Paul uh, kind of changes directions. He says, hey, there's some things I want you to know. And so Paul begins to write to him. Now, look at the way this reads. It says, for if we believe that Jesus died, by the way, this is rhetorical. Do you believe that Jesus died, yes or no? Yes. He goes on, that he died and rose again. How many believe that Christ rose again? We're what, four or five weeks from Easter now, getting closer all the time, aren't we? He goes on, he says, and even so them also which slept with Jesus, sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him. Notice that. Verse 15. Now, what I'm going to teach you, he says in verse 15, I'm going to say it to you by the word of the Lord. This isn't me just kind of pulling some thought, wild thought out of my head. What I'm going to teach you now is what God's taught me. So I'm going to teach you some things about those people that have died. I'm going to teach you some things about those folks that have died before Jesus coming back. Now, when you read the scriptures, look at the way it reads about folks that die. The Bible says in verse 15, he says, We that are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede them that are what? Asleep. Now, when you talk about in the scriptures, the word asleep there, it's talking about Christians that died and they sleep. John chapter 11, story of Lazarus. Remember the story? Jesus talks to his disciples. They go back and forth. And finally, he uh, tells them that, that uh, Lazarus is asleep. And they say, well, man, you know, maybe we need to go and wake him up or maybe we ought to let him have a better nap. By the way, on Sunday afternoon, I appreciate the fact that you don't call my house because guess what I'm doing? Man, I can flat get it on Sunday afternoon. Isn't that great? By the way, if you don't take a nap on, on Sunday afternoon, you're probably not a Baptist. I'm just going to be honest with you. You've got you to get a little rest on Sunday afternoon. So, that, you know, oh, he says, I'm going to talk about those that are asleep. Sleeping in, in the scriptures Lazarus was asleep. You go a little bit further on, you go into 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and he talks about the, the things that are going on in the church at Corinth. And he spends some time there talking about, for this cause there are some who are sleeping. What's that mean? They're dead. They're dead. So in the scriptures, this sleep is always talking about 
people that have died. Now, let me help you some. There's groups out there. I won't say their name unless you come ask me afterwards. There are groups out there that teach soul sleep. Soul sleep. Um, I don't believe there's anything in the Bible that's remotely close to that. Let me give you some examples. What's the, what's the best way to believe the Bible? Take it for what it says. Would you agree with that? Yes. Just read the Bible, whatever it says, that's what you ought to believe. When Stephen was being stoned and they're casting those big rocks and they're hitting him in the head, the Bible says when you read about Stephen, the scripture says that Stephen says, Lord, receive my spirit. And then the scripture says, and then he fell asleep. He died. How many have ever seen that verse before? Lord, receive my spirit. And then he died. What happens when you die? Your spirit goes to be with the Lord. That's what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 8. The apostle Paul looks at death and he says, to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Let's say it together. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Let's try it one more time. We're getting close to saying it all at the same time. Absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. Hey, there's only two places a Christian can be. You can be at home in your body or you can be at home with the Lord. There's no place where your body or your spirit kind of buzzes off into the solar system and you're, you're kind of just like Casper the Friendly Ghost and you're just floating out and never, never land. Scripture makes it very clear. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, it's far better to depart to be with Christ. When you depart, you depart to be with Christ. That's what the Bible says. There's no spot that you go before. So I don't believe that the Bible... Uh, teaches soul sleep. When you die, immediately you're transported, your spirit's transported to be with the Lord. Now, I don't really know what that's going to be like. I don't think we're spirits in heaven. I'll give you a real couple of examples. I don't believe that, that when people appeared in the, uh, that had died before, Moses shows up at Jesus' transfiguration, Elijah shows up, they didn't look like spirits. Disciples that had never met them immediately said, hey, that's Moses, and that's, and, and that's Elijah. Peter gets so excited, he says, let's, let's go, let's have a building program. I'm going to start building tabernacles, one for you, one for you, and one for you. And the Lord basically says, shut up. Listen to Jesus. He's the man with the plan. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now, it's kind of a Phil Martin Amplified, but that's what he basically says. So the, the deal is, I don't know what kind of, what happens to you. I think when you get to heaven, God gives you some pre-rapture body. I don't think you float around in some nebulous form. I believe you got something where people can recognize who you are. I think there's some kind of in-between your physical body and your spiritual body that God allows you to have in heaven. So that people know who you are. I really believe that. I, I think when I get to heaven, I'm going to know who my mom is. I think I'm going to know who my dad is. I can keep going down that list. Both sides of my grandparents were saved. I think I'm going to see my aunt there. There's a lot of people I'm going to see when I get to heaven. 
and, I, and they won't kind of float by. They'll be there. They'll, they'll, they'll look like them. They'll be like people. I think that's what's going to happen. So when we talk about it, the Bible says that they're asleep, but it's not talking about the fact that they're, they're ghosts. It's not soul sleep. So let's look at the passage. Let's really jump into it. I've already kind of done that a little bit. I wanted to answer that question, though, because I think when you have people die, one of the questions you have is where do they go? What happens to them? What are they going to be like? Hey, I think that the bottom line is absent from the bodies present with the Lord. I don't think there's some in-between nebulous place that you float off to. I think you go to heaven, you're with the Lord. And God gives you some sort of in-betweener. <laughs> it's not a physical body, it's not that resurrection body because you, you haven't been resurrected yet, but he gives you some kind of, some kind of body that people can recognize because that's what happened with them in the scriptures. Okay? Now, let's look at it and let's kind of run through here real quick. Let's notice several things. Regarding the contrast of death, the church at Thessalonica was having problems. Some had gone to seed on the doctrine. Some quit their jobs. Some become busybodies. Jesus is coming back, so why work? They got on rapture robes, sat up on top of hills, ate bird seed, and picked a guitar singing, Kumbaya, my Lord. Second Thessalonians, you say, Pastor, why do you believe that? Second Thessalonians, he writes to him, he says, if you don't work, you don't eat. He said, you don't mooch off of other Christians. Get your job and do what you're going to do. Let's not take advantage of this rapture deal. Okay? So Paul begins to write to him, and he begins to write about the contrast of, of death. Now, verses 13 and 14, and I'll read them again. I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those that are asleep. We know what that means, that you sorrow not even as others that have no hope. Now, let me, let me throw out a couple of things here. When, when people die, I've had preachers say, well, you ought not to cry. Well, why would Romans chapter 12 says, weep with those that weep? Why wouldn't one place would he tell you to weep and then somehow you're not to sorrow? There's a difference between sorrowing the way a pagan sorrows that will never see that lost loved one again. <coughs> and somebody that we love and know that's a Christian and someday we're going to see him in heaven. Amen. You with me? I, I sorrowed when my mother died to some degree. I mean, I, I preached her funeral. It's pretty tough. Very hard. And I thought about a lot of stories and thought about a lot of things. And some of them I marked out. I said, I can't tell that one. I won't make it through that. And I kind of worked through my little talk and got it all together. And whew, it's hard. But I knew I was going to see her again. I had the hope that she was saved and that she was going to be in heaven. So somewhere down the road, I was going to see her. So I don't think it's saying... Now, do I mourn? I, you know, I, I can't explain Tennessee. Tennessee is much different than California. California, stoic. You go to a funeral, nobody wipes a tear, nobody cries because it's just different in California. It's just different. If you have a funeral, you got 25 people, that's a big one. They don't go to them. 
Main reason is because they're pagans and don't want to be reminded of the fact someday that's going to be you. Now, I've been in Tennessee, though, <laughs> weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. First time I went to one of those, that lady freaked out so bad, they finally had to carry her out. I, all four, I mean, somebody had an arm, somebody had a leg, both sides, took her around in the center aisle. I thought, this ain't your daddy's Oldsmobile, big boy. Now, I'm not making fun. I'm just saying there's a difference between California and Tennessee. Are you with me? Seems like we, we get with it a little more here than what they do in California. But the scripture says I'm not to sorrow like somebody that has no hope. That's the point. That's the point. Now, let's move along. He says, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, this is direct quote of Jesus. He said, those that are alive and remain for coming will not prevent them, precede them that are asleep. All right, notice how it's going to look. look, look at, let's look at this. Let's spend a little time here and kind of show you how, how the Christ is going to come back. Now, I want to go down through. Let me talk to you a while and let me throw some stuff out. And if you think I'm totally, I was going to say full of it, but that's not a nice thing to say in a Baptist church. I don't mean it that way. If you think I'm nuts, how's that? Does that sound better? Okay, that's what I want to say. Uh, you can have your thoughts. I'll have my thoughts, okay? I'm going to tell you what I think, all right? Is that okay? All right, let's look and see what it says. Look, watch this. This is kind of cool. He says, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Now, isn't it great that when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back himself? You ever stop and think about it? Is there a lot of people he could get to take care of that? You think he could send Moses? Let my people go. <laughs> could he send Moses? Yes or no? Yeah. He could have sent any of those great disciples or apostles or whatever. But Jesus himself, this is something that Jesus, you say, why is he going to do that? Because he's getting his bride. I've never went to the, my wedding said, I'll have the best man take her down the aisle. No, I wouldn't get her myself. How many understand that? So the Bible says the Lord himself, notice, shall come from heaven, descend from heaven with a shout. Now let's talk about that. You know, in the scriptures, a shout, Jesus shouted three times in the Bible. Do you remember that? He shouted at Lazarus's tomb. And I love this. He says, Lazarus, come forth. You remember that? It's really cool when you've been to Lazarus's tomb. We went and saw it. You got to crawl down in there and get on your backside and slide way down in there. And finally, you get into a room that you can stand up in. But getting in there for a fat guy like me, it's kind of hard. I'll just be real honest with you. But he stood on the outside. Of, it's a, it's a, a stone chamber that they hewed out by hand. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And when Lazarus comes forth, he says, loose him and let him go. He says it with a shout. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus have to shout at the tomb? Couldn't Jesus, I, I, you know, I would think if I was going to create the world, I'd say, let there be dry land. I wouldn't shout, I'd just say it. If I was God, I wouldn't have to shout it, would you? 
Come on, how many get where I'm going with that? Why did he shout? When he's on the cross, he lifts a big shout and he said, it's finished. Jesus shouts three times in the Bible. Why did he shout at Lazarus' tomb? <coughs> Let me tell you why I think he shouted. When you talk about Satan, Jesus talks about Satan and he says that Satan is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. The Bible says that there's one thing that Satan holds over everyone and it's called the fear of death. He deals in the death realm. I believe that death, listen to me, is Satan's realm. When you start talking about death, now you're moving over into Satan's category. And I believe the reason that Jesus shouted is because he was going through the realm of the demonic. He is dead for four days. They said he stinks by now. The Jews believed that after three days, the spirit would leave. They basically told him, he's gone. He's got him. So Jesus shouts. Now, let me ask you a question. When Jesus comes back, do you think there's going to be any Christians in the grave that need to be shouted at? You think Satan's going to do a dead level best to keep him in the grave? He's going to work in his realm, so he shouts. That's what I think he's shouting for. I think we could go back to heaven without a shout. God can do anything. He's got a pretty powerful voice. Would you agree with that? But he shouts. I don't think that's a mistake. I think there's a reason for that. I think I just explained it. Now, he not only shouts, look at what it says. He descends with the shout, with the voice of the archangel. Isn't that interesting? You say, Pastor, why does an archangel get involved? Jesus himself comes back for us. I think it's Jesus himself that shouts. I personally think the shout is, come up hither, because that's the one that's used in the book of Revelation. But the voice of the archangel. Now, what's an archangel? Does anybody know? There's different kinds of angels in the Bible. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that there are guardian angels? How many would vote for a guardian angel? Have you ever drove on the freeway? You got any grandkids? Man, they better have them. Do you think you ever had them when you was a kid? I still think I got them. I really do. I believe I have guardian angels. And I think there are times that they do all kinds of neat stuff that I have no idea what they just did. That's what I think. How many think that in the Bible there are seraphims? Now, there's certain named angels in the Bible. An archangel is one of the leading angels. Now, when you talk about this, uh, there the only, I, I think that who this is, let me show it to you. Let's go back to the book of Jude. Jude is the book before Revelation. If, if you pass it, it's easy to pass because it's only one chapter, right? All right, so look at Jude for a second. And let's drop down through here and let's look at a couple of verses in Jude here. Let me see here. 
Scripture says, and I got to find my verse. I'll tell you the verse that I'm looking for. I'm looking for Jude, verse number nine. Got it? It says, Michael, notice, the archangel. Now, I will say this. I think there could be a possibility that Gabriel's an archangel, but I don't know if he is or not because the Bible doesn't call him an archangel. The only archangel I can find in the Bible that's named is Michael. And Michael was there at death. The death of Moses. Now, you ready? I'm going to show you something here. Don't miss this. Look at verse number 9 again. It says, Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Now, I could go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 31, and I could show you this story. He goes up onto Mount Pisgah, and the Bible says, that his strength wasn't abated, his eyesight wasn't dimmed. He's 120 years old, but because he had a temper problem that he wouldn't get over, and he struck the rock twice, when God told him to speak to it, God says, you're never going to see the land and get to go in with him, but I'll let you go go to the top of the mountain and look it over. And the Bible basically says that Moses died. The Hebrew there is an interesting word. It's the idea that God kissed him. And then Micah... Michael shows up and Satan shows up. And if you read Deuteronomy, it basically gives you the idea that God buries him himself, Moses' body, because he doesn't want the children of Israel to find his body to worship his bones and to make some sort of stupid shrine over him. So Satan's trying to dig him up. Micah shows up, the archangel, and he disputes this whole thing that's going on. Look at the way the verse reads. The Bible says in verse number 9, it says that he disputes with, with, uh, uh, with the Satan over the body of Moses. Look at the way that reads. It's such a weird verse. Ah, I lost it there just a second. It's going to come back to me. Jude disappears out of my Bible sometimes for a minute. All right. It says, he contends with the devil. He disputed about the body of Moses, but he didn't bring a a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So they got this argument going over the body of Moses. Now, why is that? Did you ever wonder why God would send an archangel to have it out with Satan over the body of Moses? Why would God do that? It's a good question, wouldn't you agree? You want me to tell you what I think? I can keep it to myself. Do you want me to tell you what I think? All right. Here's what I think. I believe in the Old Testament when Old Testament saints died, I'm going to get a little spooky here. This isn't theology 101. This is a little like 404. Okay, I'm a little further along. In the Old Testament, there was a compartment that when people died, you had the saved that died, and you had the lost that died, and they went to Hades. Hades doesn't mean hell. Hades means death. And there were compartments, two compartments. Now, for those of you that want to watch this whole story, you can go to Luke 16, 
You can read this whole story. Jesus tells a story about two dudes that died. One guy was rich, one guy was poor. One guy died with sumptuous living, had it made, wore robes of purple. One guy didn't have anything, and he sat there begging, yes or no. And the Bible says that the one dude dies, and in hell, he lifts up his eyes, being in torment. I remember the story. And then the Bible says, and the beggar died. Listen to this part. And the angels carried him to Abraham's bosom. Now, here's what I believe. For sure in the Old Testament, when somebody died in the Old Testament, they were carried by the angels to that paradise. One side was like hell. The other side was paradise. And in between, there was a great gulf fixed so that you couldn't go from one to the other. You remember Jesus' story, yes or no? And the angels would carry them. Now, you say, Pastor, do you think in heaven, do you, or what you're saying to me, do you think in heaven there's angel burial details where angels show up when a saint dies to help them go to heaven? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm sure it happened in the Old Testament because that's what we're talking about in Luke chapter 16. I believe that angels escort believers from earth to heaven. Stay with me. The reason Micah was there at Moses' burial and disputing over the body, I think that Michael was dispatched, but part of that is maybe Michael's the guy that's in charge of getting the details together that goes and escorts saints to heaven. Maybe that's what's going on. That's what I think's going on. So the Bible says, if you look at this, Scripture says, um, we believe that Jesus died, rose again. Those that sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. Now, there's some weird stuff here. I believe when you die, angels come and help you go to heaven. And I don't think there's anything to be afraid of. I don't think there's anything to be worried about. I think we get an angelic escort. We used to sing songs, I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Now, some of you young people go, man, where did he come up with that stupid song? Well, that's back when, you know, we used to listen to stupid songs. Okay, that's how old I am. <laughs> but I, I really believe that angels are escorting us from earth to heaven. So when Jesus comes back, he comes himself. There's a shout. I believe Jesus says, come up hither. And I think the angels are dispersed all over the world. And they go out and they start bringing up all these saints. Now, you say, Pastor, I'm a little confused. A few moments ago, you said they go to heaven immediately when they die. Yeah, I believe that. But it seems like when, you, when Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ will be reunited with their bodies that have died. And then the moment they come up out of the grave, I think the angels are ready to go with them. The dead in Christ shall rise first. You listening to me? So first of all, the Bible says, notice there's a shout. 
Then there's the voice of the archangel, and then there's the trumpet of God. You know the trumpet of God? That could be Jewish. I, I'm, I'm still working on this one. I, I was studying it again this afternoon. I'm not exactly sure <coughs> what's going on. In the Old Testament, they had the Feast of the Trumpets. It was seven days long. They had the Feast of the Trumpets. They had silver trumpets in the Old Testament that had certain commands that they would blow. They could hear the, the trumpet and it was retreat, advance. There were different things they could blow on the trumpet that would get like a command. They would understand what to do. It's kind of a military thing. If you study the Old Testament, the two major reasons for trumpets in the Old Testament, are you with me? Worship and war. They had a trumpet that would blast when it was time to worship the Lord. By the way, if we're raptured out of this world and we're caught back to go to heaven, when we get to heaven, we're going to go, first of all, to the, the judgment seat of Christ, where we're going to be rewarded for the deeds that are done in the body. Are you listening to me? And then we're going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that takes place in heaven during those seven years of tribulation on this earth. Are you with me? Come on, this is a yes. Are you with me? I'm, you think I'm making this up as I go? I'm really not. Now, you say, Pastor, what do you think we're going to do in heaven, worship? Yes or no? And then what do you think is going to happen? War. When Jesus comes back for the church, the tribulation starts, and the second coming and the rapture of the church, by the way, I think are all called the same thing, and they're separated. They're, they're the same event with two different parts, ones that starts at the beginning, ones at the end. And when the trumpet sounds, we're going to go with the Lord, I believe, again, and we're going to come to this earth, and that's going to be the battle of Armageddon. Won't that be wild? So worship and war. Are you with me? How many, have I totally confused you now? No. Okay. I, re, I think we read these verses like this and we kind of go down through there and we have no idea what it means. So don't you think it's nice to know what they mean? Amen. A little bit, maybe, somewhat. Okay. All right. Lord himself descends from heaven with a voice, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, you say, Pastor, is that going to present God any problems? If he can form you in the womb, listen to this, he can bring you out of the tomb. <laughs> if he can get you going in mama's belly, he can sure get you going from the heart of the earth. Now, can I help you with this? I do not believe that when Jesus comes back, I've heard some <laughs> magical preaching in the years about the rapture of the church, and they almost preach it like a reassembly. They say, those poor boys in World War II that were blown up on those ships, and they were Christians, and they went down, and a shark ate their body, and, and, and when Jesus comes back, it's going to be a reassembly apart from here and apart from there, and all of them, and up they'll come, and everybody, amen. Only problem is that's not biblical. The Bible says, 
The resurrection of the body is like putting a seed in the ground. How many know what DNA is? All God has to have is one little bitty cell of that body, and he can raise from that seed that's planted, regardless of where it's planted at, he can raise your body, and it'll be just like you, without sin. That'll last forever. Won't that be great? I don't believe that the rapture of the church is going to be a reassembling of people's bodies a little up from this shark's mouth comes a hand and this whale over here has got your leg and <laughs> I don't believe that I believe God takes it like the DNA and boom that seed that's been planted God raises that from the dead are you listening to me come on yes. some of you staring at me like I really think he's lost it all right, let, let, me show you, let me show you 17. I got to quit like right now. Then we which are alive and remain. How many are voting to be in that group? Yes. Amen. I want to be alive and remain, don't you? Yes. Then which we are alive and remain will be caught up. By the way, the word caught up is where we get the word rapture from. The word rapture is not in the Bible. So if you look it up in your concordance, you'll never find the word rapture. This word here means to be snatched. And that word in the, in the language is the idea of being raptured out. That's where the word rapture comes from. So it's found in that word caught up. Okay? It says we're caught up together with them in the clouds. Who's the them in the clouds? Well, the dead in Christ are raised first. They come up first, and then we which were alive and remain are caught up, and we gather in the clouds, all right? Let's keep reading. And we meet the Lord in the air. Won't that be something? So when Jesus comes back at the rapture, he doesn't come all the way back to the earth. He comes back as far as the clouds, and when we're raptured out, we are caught up. The dead in Christ comes up first. We which were alive and remain come up second. We meet the Lord in the clouds, and then the Bible says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Won't that be cool? Yes. Now, I love the next verse. He says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Um, let's take, a, let's take a, a survey. How many of you have moms or dads or grandparents that are in heaven right now? Raise your hand. Did you get any comfort out of anything I said tonight? Are they floating off in never, never land? Are they soul sleeping somewhere in the nebulous universe? No, to be absent from the body is to be what? Paul said, man, when I depart, I depart to go to be with the Lord. You're either here or you're there. And guess what's going to happen? When Jesus comes back, it's kind of weird the way this works. But when Jesus comes back, those which are alive and have that pre-rapture body that are in heaven with the Lord. By the way, I think they're having a pretty good time, don't you? They're going to be brought back to the ground where they were buried. And from that seed that's been planted, God's going to raise them up. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we which were alive and remain, but caught up, will meet the Lord in the air. 
And the Bible says, so shall we ever then be with the Lord. There'll never be a time for the rest of the eternity from the rapture on that will never not be with the Lord. That's going to be kind of cool because I've not been with him yet. But I'm fixing to be with him forever. Is that pretty cool? Can you find any comfort with that? Bible's a great book, isn't it? So what do you think about the dead in Christ? I think they were escorted to heaven by angels when they died. And they're with the Lord right now. And when it comes time for Jesus to come back, they go back to the grave, and then they're caught back. I think it's instantaneous. They're caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That's cool, huh? All right. Let's stop. You say, man, thank God. I like the way that sounds.